This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Generative AI can create anything from text, imagery, code, voice, and, and even video. And the process is controlled by natural language. So you really describe to it what you're looking for, write me an essay, develop me a, an email, create a sales play, create a marketing message, and you use natural language without having to have specialized expertise. That was Mr. Gavin Barfield from Salesforce, one of the world's most famous software makers for marketers and salespeople. Gavin is Salesforce Regional Chief Technology Officer for Solutions, and he is talking about something that in the past four months has become more famous than the 24-year-old multinational firm that he works for. Since the launch of ChatGPT last November, generative AI has taken the world by storm. In this episode of Work Talk, we're going to look at how generative AI affects jobs, specifically jobs in sales and cybersecurity. First, what is generative AI? Generative AI is this family of deep learning algorithms that can automatically create new content. So that's the critical part. It creates content, whereas traditional AI models are more around cataloging, identifying patterns and making predictions. Okay, so think about traditional AI as the customer service chatbot that delivers stilted answers to everything except what you need. Or if you run a restaurant, the dashboard that alerts you to an unusual number of transactions in your cash register. The difference with generative AI now is that it can do all that and more at greater speed, larger scale, and with personalization. And it can do all of that with much, much more ease. No coding needed. In fact, as ChatGPT has shown, all you have to do to make it work is ask. Do we really think this is going to be a big technology innovation? It can generate insights and leads, so it could craft emails to prospective clients, follow on from leads service. It could draft responses to customer service queries for marketing. It could generate assets such as targeted marketing. For developers, it could generate code automatically. In Tableau and Analytics, you could ask for insights by using conversational language, you know, tell me what this looks like instead of having to sort of write queries or click and drag. All these qualities that Gavin pointed out has led generative AI to be adopted at explosive speed. We are joined by Mr. Ku Jan Huat the regional cybersecurity leader for Cisco, a technology firm known for its digital protection solutions. I wanted to know how generative AI affects not only cybersecurity, but also the art of selling tools to protect systems, networks, and programs from hacks. Will it replace cybersecurity salespeople, for example? I'm a salesperson. And I've been with Cisco for only three years. Any aspects in terms of where, where the solution can offer us even better insights into our customers, right? It's not a case of systems replacing our job, but to help us to serve our customers and have a better 360 view of them. The human touch is still very important when we engage with our customers. We are partners to them, going there to help them solve their problems. Having a lot of systems around us to provide additional insights and details help us as well because there may be some areas in which the customers have not considered and we are putting it out. Gavin agrees. I don't expect a, a piece of AI technology to sell me a car. It's a personal relationship, but what it will allow us to do is to put that personalization at scale. Okay, so the famous stereotype car salesman gets to keep his job. But beyond remembering his customers' birthdays, favorite colors, and family size to match the right car model, he now has to learn to use his AI assistant to go through his customer's data, send them personalized birthday greetings, 
and email them cheery updates of the latest models and colours. And if he masters it, he could maintain a client base dozens, hundreds, even thousand times bigger than the customer numbers he has now. How has AI affected how cybersecurity sells? John Huat gives two examples. We talk to a lot of customers. On a daily basis, they face thousands of vulnerabilities. Now, it's, it's impossible for any organizations to be able to remediate thousands of vulnerabilities in one day, two days, or even 15 days because there's just too many. How are they going to prioritize which are the ones that's going to be very critical? And to do that, we use a lot of data science and AI to give them a actionable intelligence, right? So that's one use case. Everything connects to the network your cameras, your laptops, your phones, and what have you. And that means that the network sees everything. For example, Chris, I don't talk to you often, but suddenly, you know, one day I started to talk to you on a daily basis for three hours. Then something might be wrong. It triggers an alert that the security operations need to take a look at it and see whether something is malicious. There's so much telemetry inside the network. And to expect a person to look at all the flows of traffic inside the network is close to impossible. So how to use AI to actually look at the patterns, the behavior, and then flag out those that's important for security to take deep dive look on. Those are important. So these are two examples in which, you know, the use of AI helps to address security and detect issues early in the cycle. I'll be creeped out if John Huat starts talking to me for three hours a day. So Gavin, John Huat has given two examples of how AI is helping the cybersecurity profession. Last month, Salesforce announced the launch of your proprietary generative AI, Einstein GPT, and its integration with ChatGPT into your solutions, including a collaboration tool used by your colleagues called Slack. I want to ask, how has the rollout of these new technologies affected Salesforce-owned employees? Are they able to keep up with the tools that you have come up with for them to use? We've had AI technologies built in Salesforce for many, many years. It is new stuff, but it's building on existing technology that exists. The way we build these things into our product is to sort of de-geekify them. That's always been the mantra. And as we move into generative technologies, I think that'll be even more easy for them to understand. So it is not too rocket science. Do your colleagues always agree with Einstein? Einstein is a personal character that gives you these recommendations in very easy to understand format. It gives a very data-driven, non-personal, non-biased views of opportunities and their likelihood to close, which is often quite interesting to compare that with the human sort of narrative coming from the salespeople. We also use Einstein to sort of anticipate and predict products that we think customers might be looking to buy. Adding the generative Einstein GPT allows us to develop a more personalized, a more creative experience at scale mapped to individual customers. I'm not sure that I like Einstein GPT very much especially if he's always out to out me for inflating my sales forecast or outdo me at anticipating the next hit product. AI's impact on the cybersecurity professionals seems larger. As an industry, we are all short of cybersecurity professionals. So first thing first, we've got to get the cybersecurity professionals on board to help our customer organizations be safer. With the whole advancement in terms of how security operations is using AI, right, to look at threat modeling from various aspects, from devices, from identity, from networks, from the clouds, uh, from data. This is where another level of data science in AI is, is required to detect and predict threats that's coming up in the near future. We can find cybersecurity professionals. We can find data science professionals. But to find cybersecurity professionals who is also good in data science, 
is few and far between. Maybe you can count with one hand, right? As things become more complex and the need to see more telemetry inside the infrastructure, right, to protect yourself, I think you will see more and more cybersecurity professionals taking out data science as well so they, they can apply AI in their analysis of threat modeling inside their own environment. It takes time. I would say maybe at least 6 to 12 months before you can become more proficient in it. I want to introduce a special guest, Mr. Davison Chua. Davison is a second-year student at the School of Computing in the National University of Singapore. Davison, like many of his classmates, hopes to land a job in tech when he graduates. I asked Davidson if he has a question for Gavin and Chuan Huat. What kind of experiences or academic results that both Gavin or Chuan Huat may be looking at? Because I think syllabus that are taught in schools may not actually be sufficient enough to keep up with the relevant potential in AI, right? Because our school are just teaching us the technical skills. It's been many years since I was at university studying, but I can still remember doing a lot of those things back then that I thought were completely useless, like learning how to understand binary and we were doing Fortran and we were doing COBOL and we we're doing all these sort of low-level programming languages that I do not use in my everyday world and I never have. But what it did do was give a good base. I've never programmed in hexadecimal in my life, but you know I know what it is and know how it works and know how the underlying things but I think you need to balance that with what's happening in terms of current developments. And Salesforce itself has what we call our Trailhead Academy. So we invest very heavily in, in making training of the current technologies available free of charge. We had one example of an app delivery driver who decided he wanted to move into Salesforce technologies, got on Trailhead, was able to learn at his own pace, was able to learn free of charge, and he he's now works as a Salesforce administrator for NinjaVan. From the way Gavin mentioned the programming tools and platforms, I think we may be from the same era. But jokes aside, I, I agree with Gavin that, you know, the fundamentals will apply across the board. The tools may change, but the fundamentals always stays the same. And especially for cybersecurity, it might seem that a particular hack or a breach is a very complicated, involves a lot of actors and so on. But if you really peel the onion, it all starts off with the layer one, layer two, layer three, and layer four. In brief, Davidson, it means you cannot drop out of school yet. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode. Let's get back to the conversation with my guest, Mr. Gavin Barfield, Salesforce Regional Chief Technology Officer for Solutions, Mr. Kuchan Huat, the regional cybersecurity leader for Cisco, and Mr. Davidson Chua, a second-year student at the School of Computing in the National University of Singapore. I come from a non-tech company, and I see many mid-career colleagues bogged down with so many things in life, making a living, caregiving, raising kids, and just trying to be good at work is already very tough. Keeping up with tech is far from their minds. So, how realistic is it when we talk about mid-career switching for workers who are not so tech-savvy? I asked Chuan Huat for his views, and I'm glad to hear that it is not necessary to become a technical expert overnight in your middle age to land a tech job. Even in a company like Cisco, we have many, many different roles. Not every role requires technical skill set. Of course, you have got technical skill set is good, but Cisco as a company, we have finance, we have legal, we have HR. 
I myself, I started off as a engineer serving the service provider sector. I moved around to become an architect, a business development, sales, CTO, so on and so forth. I've seen people moving around different roles as well, just like myself. And if you have the good attitude, you are prepared to fork your sleeves and learn. Chances are you will be successful in what you are trying to do as well. Since November last year, more than 200,000 workers have been laid off by tech companies, caught in the squeeze of rising capital costs, slowing sales and overstaffing. Salesforce, the largest private employer in its home base San Francisco, has not been spared. Are there still opportunities for Singaporeans to join a well-ranked employer like Salesforce? Or are the days when dreams of landing a sunny tech job that comes with free lunches and laundry service over? It's a tough time for our industry right now. And, and as you said, we're not immune to these economic headwinds. But I was reading an article from Minister Josephine Teo recently, and she said that the technology sector will continue to underpin the growth of Singapore's economy and create job opportunities. And I very much agree with that. And there's always a demand for digital skill sets like cloud and CRM, and that's not going to go away. An interesting fact is that IDC, a study on the Salesforce economy, found that Singapore and its ecosystem of partners will create 8.8 billion Singapore dollars in new business revenues and over 18,000 jobs in Singapore by 2026. So if you look at Salesforce as an ecosystem, there's a lot of revenue and a lot of jobs to be created as part of that ecosystem. So for now, as Salesforce is not hiring, Candidates can try to join one of its partners that uses the Salesforce platform. Then wait. I want to ask one question about company culture. So, John Huat, what is it like working in Cisco? We are very collaborative about teamwork and we get together very often to build that kind of very strong bonding and uh, culture. The other aspect is being able to try different roles as well. I myself, as an example, eighth or ninth role in Cisco and that's because the company also gives me the opportunity Flexibility is very critical for all of us and uh, Cisco is very open in this flexible hybrid work kind of concept as well. What about Salesforce, Kevin? An example is our philanthropy model. We started off on day one with our 111 model where we give 1% of revenue, 1% of product, 1% of time back to the community. And these values drive our culture and these values is number one is around trust. And that trust is within ourselves and our community that we build internally in Salesforce, trusting each other. It's also about trust with our customers and about trust in our technology and our security. And the second one is really about customer success. Everything we do is really trailed on and, and driven to drive the stuff for the customers. And we're also very innovative when we have pre-releases of our product every year. Equality is very important to us as well. We all have VTO hours, volunteering hours, where the company urges us to go out and give back to the community. And finally, our newest value is sustainability. So I think those five values has really driven the company culture and made us a, a, a great place to work as well. That's actually a rather long pitch for Salesforce, but I will give Gavin that. I'm going to give Davidson a chance to ask a question. So what kind of special skills do you think like an undergraduate myself or my friends should look for or should pursue instead of just technical skills? Yeah, what should somebody like him do to stand out as a candidate, Kevin? I can take a stab at it. The majority of, of time when I actually interview people is really about the personality behind it, the person behind it, the hunger to learn, the willingness to adapt, the flexibility and the drive. The rest of it you can teach. So when I start working out who wants to be in my team, I would prioritize those sort of traits over technical skills. I would also suggest becoming a specialist. 
not a generalist at the beginning, particularly early in your career, have a technology or have an area that you want to deep dive into and go into an industry or go into a business or go into a company like Salesforce or a technology company with that specialism. Yeah, I agree with you, Gavin. So IT is a very, very broad area. So assuming cybersecurity is an area that you want to go to, okay, again, make sure that the fundamentals are right and then start doing your read-ups and understanding how hackers think, they behave, how, how hacks typically work. Many organizations are out there trying to look for cybersecurity talents, security events like hackathons. And those who do well are usually being observed and targeted by organizations to join them in cybersecurity. I want to ask a practical question. Is there any value in being on LinkedIn all the time? Or going on Chris Boo's podcast for that matter? Does it make any difference to a candidate's marketability or opportunities? What are your views? You mentioned sort of LinkedIn. That's, I think they, they can be valuable just to be used correctly. Uh, you know, somebody who sort of keeps forwarding on stuff and is not really showing any value. But if you can actually show on LinkedIn that, that you're taking courses or that you have a point of view on something or that you're developing a blog, or that you're, you know, you're, you're building this personal brand. I think that can be very useful. So Davidson, after you hear from us, what are you planning to do next? So I think the next course of action is actually to read out more and upskilling is very important. So get my fundamentals right. Pay more attention to my prof in class. <laughs> but maybe I can ask you, your generation, what are they looking for in terms of an employer? Many years ago, it was around job security, job for life. I want to stay with this company for 50, 60 years. What would sort of drive you and what would, what would you see as an attractive traits in an organization? Personally, for myself, I would want to see more in terms of like having more interaction between departments and departments, having the opportunity to just go beyond what I'm tasked to. But maybe my generation, we will look more in terms of like working for short, not really short term, but maybe three to five years before progressing to a next role in another company. So... I think the exposure is also something that my generation would appreciate. Is salary important to you? Yeah, definitely is important. Maybe when I reach like my mid-30s, then I may kind of need specific kind of numbers for compensation. But I think starting off as a fresh grad, I don't really see the need to focus so much on the salary. I think Singapore is really well positioned to capitalize on the benefits of AI. We have a highly educated and skilled workforce. We have collective efforts to uplift digital skills across all age groups. And I'm particularly impressed, I think, with the strong government support to further AI development and capabilities. So cultivating this conductive AI ecosystem, I think will create more jobs and opportunities. 2023 is going to be a discovery year of how generative AI might change and shape our jobs and work lives in the future. There's much that we don't know yet. What we do know is that through generative text and visuals, AI will increasingly shape the way we think, the way we see the world, and ultimately, the way we live. Those who can tame it will succeed. Those who cannot might fall by the wayside. Which would you choose to be? I'm Chris Bu. From me and the production team, thank you for listening. And thank you to our fantastic guests, Gavin, John Huat, and Davidson. We hope you have enjoyed Work Talk, a Straits Times podcast. If you wish to read stories about tech jobs, we have links to recommended stories in our show notes. Until the next episode, we wish you a good work month. That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. 
For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A W E D I O.